Welcome to Queer Lodgings, the queer-led podcast about everything Tolkien. I'm Leah, and I'm here with my usual co-hosts, Grace. Hello. And Alicia. Hello. Oh, I just got some Kevin McAllister going on there. I am so sorry. I'm sick, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is winter, so it's the time of getting colds and getting sick. It's raining, it's kind of gross and dark outside, but... You know what? We're not staying indoors today, you guys. Grab your thermos, some hot tea, a couple extra layers, and your saddlebags, because today we're heading to the stables, and we're talking about the horse girls of Middle-earth. To help us out, we're joined by our good friend, Kate Rotler, certified horse girl, TM. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks! Uh, Before we get going, can you tell our listeners a little more about yourself? Um, yeah, sure. I am Kate Rottler. I am an ecologist by day, but in my free time, I spend a lot of time out at the barn with my horse. His name is Rocket. And in any given situation, I will gladly whip my phone out and just start showing you pictures of Rocket for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, since I don't have kids, I have pets and I just have so many pictures of them. And he's one of my favorite things to talk about. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I've had him since he was 16 and he's 24 now. So, yep. And he's the first horse I've ever had, but I always wanted a horse since the time I was a little kid. So he's kind of like my dream pony that I didn't get to have as a kid. Now I get to have him when I'm older and can actually like form good memories of that. Aww. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Well, that's the whole reason that we brought you on today because you are, as we said, a certified horse girl. and we need you to talk to us about some of horse girls and some of the like inherent like queerness that's I think held in the whole genre and I guess trope and stereotype even. Alicia, you found some <laughs> you found some pretty great scholarship and also Urban Dictionary, which I don't know if that really counts as scholarship or as or not, <laughs> but in a particular sense, it kind of is. Why don't we talk a little more about what a horse girl actually is? Yeah, horse girls are, I mean, I never had money to own a horse and therefore never fell into horse girl category, but I've always been kind of like, I've always thought that horse girls were kind of queer adjacent, even though there's nothing like overtly queer about a girl who rides a horse. There's something that always struck me as being queer about it, and I've never really been able to put my finger on it. Right. So when we were doing research for this episode, I thought, one, it would be good to just see what Urban Dictionary has to say about horse girls. <laughs> just just check in on what Urban Dictionary has to say. Always, Always good a good play. move. <laughs> I, I, I'm on Urban Dictionary more than I want to admit when new slang comes out that I just do not understand because I know Urban no, Di- no. Dictionary's got my back. Yeah. <laughs> but there's one particular definition from 2017 sent me. Horse girl has some deeper than normal connection to riding horses and doing horse-related things since a young age. The reason as to why someone can be so connected to riding horses is not completely clear. Perhaps it is due to sexual arousal from repeated vagina on jostling saddle contact. (laughs) You're doing that, you're riding wrong. Shit. (laughs) Right, that just sounds painful. Ouch. <laughs> Tell me this was written by a man without telling yes, me it was exactly. written by a man. Exactly. Yeah. 
Hmm. Normally quiet, <laughs> introverted, socially awkward girls, not nerdy in the traditional term of video games, anime, internet, etc. Nerdy in the sense of odd hobbies. There is a high <laughs> likelihood of being Catholic or religious. <laughs> Amazing. This overall describes a very vanilla and bland person, so horse-related hobbies largely define this person's character in totality. Overall, they can be mildly attractive personally and physically, but not more than average. Of course, personal variations occur between all horse girls. <laughs> I'm glad that they allowed for that, you know, I variation and nuance. Variation. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go ahead and skip right past offended and into the utility of this definition. Because sure. delightfully, this person has told us that we can like horses as a way to be less attractive to this type of gentleman. Right? Yeah. I think a perk in my life. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting that at no point does it mention something that like I'm familiar with, which is that horse girls are occasionally painted as like actually kind of mildly terrifying. Yeah. Because they regularly boss around one ton beasts and they'll just look at it and be like, dude, you're standing in my manure pile and then poke them with a rake and tell them to back off. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't ever occur, you know, to like me that that's a one ton animal I'm bossing around. It's just rocket. And then other people are like, oh my God, how are you just so comfortable around these giant animals? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like this is what a lot of people kind of think about for horse girl and i'm getting stuck a little bit on the high likelihood of being catholic or religious i'm like where is the like the book genre that the venn diagram of the intersection of like christian chick lit and horse girl lit like, like there i know that there's a large population oh, of books i'm sure in that venn diagram <laughs> i wonder if that comes from like the more like cowboy side of things mm. sometimes especially in american culture mm -hmm. i think it would be different probably like over in Europe or something, but I don't actually know because I was around horse folks in Europe a little bit and I know some of them, but I it's that's like not part of the culture that I've ever super experienced. Mm. I think there is an element that makes sense to me where correlation is not causation, right? Like right. it's not it is not being a horse girl leads you to Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> or Catholicism leads you to horse girl. But I think there might be an element where if you are in a like restrictive social context. Ooh, yeah. The freedom and like connection to something external to yourself and perhaps the immediacy of your family and your community that you get by riding horses and the time to care for them and the the time that you get to set aside in order to do that important task and everything is potentially like one of the ways that someone growing up in, or living in a restrictive context like that can take some agency for themselves mm -hmm. and find that freedom. Yeah. And like, I feel like there's the embodied element of in, in order to ride well, you have to be very aware of your own body and how you're moving with another animal in more restrictive sort of religious environments. The body is not only something that's sort of put to the side, but it's sort of actively immoral or actively evil and something that you want to transcend. And it's sort of like, actually, there's kind of an element of 
of transcendence, I think, in writing, in which you're actually fully embodied with yourself and the creature that you're writing, which I think can be a really strong appeal to somebody who may or may not have that kind of relationship with their body and with other bodies, non-human or human alike. Yeah. I wasn't going to go here yet, but I think I am now. (laughs) So there's also this element of, like, not just in particularly restrictive parts of society, like a lot of parts of our society and over a lot of generations, too, like as, as socialization changes and everything, talking about, like, menstruation and things like that, not necessarily, like, super common, something that is comfortable for a lot of people to talk about. But my mom grew up riding horses at her godmother's house and the quiet rule for all of the girls was when you got your period you went and rode like you went and galloped Mm. and then you went in and like you took a hot shower and the deal was like if you had your period and this is why you were doing this somebody else would actually take over like caring for the horse after you rode and you'd go in and shower right away Mm. and so that staved off the endometriosis surgery that my mom had to have by a good Hmm. decade and a half. Wow. Yeah. And so like there are like emotional benefits and health benefits specifically for people who menstruate, people who are like given a lot of restrictions by society. Like there's a lot of like freedom and good health things in being able to interact with horses and ride horses there's a reason that hippotherapy is so popular both for physical and mental health or also just like disabilities Mm -hmm. i've been told i would have to actually check if this is medically accurate so i may be spouting like a random old wives tale that we tell in the horse world to make ourselves feel better but (laughs) the motion of a horse at the walk strongly mimics the same, it activates the same muscles that you would use in walking without needing to use your legs. So it's a way to work your core if like your legs don't work. So, I mean, I know I've had surgery on both ankles for riding related (laughs) incidents. And when I was still on crutches, I could at least get up on the mounting block and throw my leg in a walking boot. Like God bless my sainted horse throw my leg over my horse and I could walk him around bareback, walk him around the field. Just like for that half hour, I was not having to deal with the fact. And like, this was even over such a short term that I was so deeply frustrated by the Mm. fact that just like, I was not physically capable of doing stuff, but on my horse, I was pretty much physically capable. You know, like I wouldn't have jumped in a riding boot or anything, but I, it was very much the physical capability that I was more or less used to. Mm-hmm. And it kept me in some kind of a shape, even when I couldn't like, you're not going to be getting a whole heck of a lot of exercise when you're on crutches, unless you're going into the grocery store and back, because it's just not pleasant. Right. But that was like physical activity that I could handle. And actually, so was <laughs> mucking stalls when I was off the crutches and just in the boot. Because yeah. it's mostly upper body, a lot of upper yeah. body. Totally. So I I know that on our social media and everything, we've alluded to, like, for all of us podcast co-hosts, like, life has been uh, lifing a lot the last couple of months. And so we haven't gotten a recording session in, and we've had to, to postpone planned sessions and things like that. For me, one of those reasons is that I've had some really terrible health issues this year. 
And one of the big things that I really, really wanted to be able to do is that every year for her birthday, my friend Joanna will bring a few of us to, it's a Girl Scout camp that does an adult horse weekend for the last, um, like their last event of the year before winter. And you spend like a day doing horse care and grooming and like mucking stalls if you want and stuff. And then you also get to do a couple of trail rides. And I was so determined to go and do this because it matters so much to me. And I got my trail rides in and I got to see the the horse. He's a little bit, a little bit of a jerk. So I love him a lot. <laughs> Aww. You know, and it was also huge. Like I, I had to have this entire medical care plan because the nearest hospital was 40 minutes away. And I had to know like exactly which ambulance company we would need to ask for and, and things like that. But I wanted to do it. And I had to go. I couldn't eat any of the food. I could only drink Ensure the entire time. Like it, it was ridiculous. And I still did it. And I felt so much better after being able to both accomplish that and then also literally the riding. Like it helped so much. So Aww. yes, horses is very therapeutic. <laughs> That's really amazing. Yeah, we've been talking about like freedom in terms of riding horses and stuff. And I, I, I yeah. really want to talk about Natalie Corinne Hansen a little bit. I found this particular academic while I was looking for a more suitable definition for what horse girls are. (laughs) (laughs) And this this woman, I am sure is a horse girl because her entire academic publishing history is how to talk to horses, how to ride horses, and then so oh, yeah. much stuff about horse girls. Hell yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and I just what a thing to like specialize in, but bless her because it gives me something more than what did this guy say? Jostling saddle contact. <laughs> yeah. Repeated vagina on jostling saddle contact. <laughs> so like her whole thing is that the horse girl trope is really tied up in the patriarchy's view of female sexuality and like agency and bodily autonomy, mm. specifically as girls are coming of age. Mm. So you have mm-hmm. that large group who assume that horse girls are lesbians and or are riding the horses for sexual pleasure or tied to that, that the love between a girl and her horse is a transitional developmental stage that will eventually lead to that love being transferred onto boys and heterosexual reproductive sexuality is how she very specifically words it. Just gross. Yeah. It's just men having a sensual fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like, I'm only partially joking. I did read an article about that. Oh boy. <laughs> oh no. How interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> so in her book chapter Horse Crazy Girls Alternative Embodiments and Socialities, she specifically says this cultural narrative functions to retain the innocence of childhood while also constructing the female subject within a sexually accessible frame. By this she's talking about Ooh. the love between horses and girls which Right gross it is incredibly gross in my opinion like why why do you need a frame in which to quote unquote safely sexualize children yeah and safely sexualize innocence and 
innocent children that don't have that kind of agency and autonomy. And you're kind of like, oh, oh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that at all. And in a lot yeah. of her work, what she is working towards is a more feminist reading of this uh, horse girl trope where the horse and girl relationship is, as she refers to it, a trans species way of discovering a girl's personhood through a physical bond with another body that allows mm. her to taste freedom through that mutual relationship that this girl gets on the horse and then as one they are free yeah they're free together and their bodies are physically free it's sort of like you know nobody can stop them or get in their way you know like there's always that moment in the horse girl movies where the girl is trying to flee basically and on her horse and it's like yeah literally nobody can stop them and that's the whole point yeah i love that trans species discovery i think that that's and that discovery through the a very physical relationship is really fascinating and really like empowering like i think it was kind of touching back on some of what we were talking about with relating how like our physical bodies sort of uh, relating to each other. I think that that's really cool. Yeah, that's the kind of power uh, young girls don't really have, right? Like we, we've touched on this a right. lot thus far that you are wielding a large, terrifying beast. Like what yeah. What other time does a, an 11 or 12 year old girl have that sort of power? Never. Yeah. 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 And I think it's really huge that a lot of us end up reading horse girl books when we are that like young age and then like around puberty and everything so i'm sitting here with with my wall of books behind me and i'm literally the same wall as all of the tolkien books is also the shelf of all of the like saddle club books and thoroughbred and like ghost horse stories and everything that i collected and read as a mm. kid because that almost like closer to real life fantasy was just as freeing as fantastical settings. Yeah. Well, and I think we're talking specifically about horse girls, but I think there's also a lot to be said just for like anyone that society kinds of kind of places in a powerless position. There is like, there is a lot of privilege and nastiness in the horse world. It can be incredibly toxic, but I've also seen like some pretty incredible, there are trainers who specifically have queer friendly barns and like they specifically go looking for students who may not have the money. And so they start a scholarship program that's quite often funded actually by other queer people who wish they'd had that growing up. Yeah. And it's wonderful as far as giving freedom to, I guess, anybody who's been put in that really powerless position by society yeah that is something yeah. good to like speak about right now we are talking about horse girls so we are necessarily going to be using a lot of gendered language here but it doesn't have to be a girl <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yep yeah people of marginalized genders <laughs> yeah 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 and i think often marginalized experience in the same way that we often use gender language ironically and saying like you know girl and dude and whatever in this context we are we are explicitly referencing that as well that you know 
first horse girl is not specifically just cis girls. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's one more thing I want to touch on before we start really digging into the meat of this. One of the places where Natalie Hansen gets kind of the backbone of this like horse crazy girls book chapter that I've been referencing is a visual artist by the name of Deborah Bright who had an exhibit called Horse Crazy. Horse Tales, American Images and Icons from 1800 to 2000. She's discussing the incoming portfolios of visual art students who are trying to go into art school. And she sees all of these horse-related images and says that she daydreamed of a whole nation of horse girls who shared this obsession, a fierce army of horse lovers, impervious to the contempt implicit in men's mockery, ignoring the social consensus that they would have moved on from horses to boys. These hopeful applicants were signaling their membership in a subversive sisterhood. If we nurtured their talent and insistent on deviant passion over peer pressure, we could move mountains. That is so powerful to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I love that. Yeah. Alicia, so as you were reading that, I just connected to a song that like teenage me was like blasting all the time. And it was on Shania Twain's like last album that she had released. It's a song called Juanita and their lyrics are like, she's the restless river running through my veins. She rides without the reins. Her name's Juanita. She lives in the heart of every woman in the world within the reach of every girl who wants to meet her. The whole thing is a like a horse riding allegory for like freedom and like feminine feminist freedom and and rage and frustration with patriarchy and and all of that, including and this is a country song in the 2000s. Let me remind everyone when someone tries to take away the freedom of your choice to take away your voice, that's when you need her. Like, holy Mm. shit, forgot about all of this. Like, (laughs) like. Thanks yeah. for unlocking that for me again, Alicia. Thanks for that yeah. quote. <laughs> like, wow. Oh, uh, yeah. That's so powerful. And it speaks to of like, you know, like sort of that reclaiming of of power. And in so many ways that like, I guess like in ways that a lot of people like dismiss and sort of don't. What's the word I'm trying to say? But it's like it feels very subversive and very not quite like secret, but like inaccessible to to folks who kind of don't look hard enough I guess if that if that makes sense I'm thinking like the the phrase of like the the deviant passion over peer pressure where it's sort of like oh embracing your cringe yeah yeah, yeah that's it that's it that's it exactly that's it exactly embracing that that weirdness and that subversiveness it's so powerful and so very queer I think that that might be part of the nugget that I'm kind of like I couldn't quite ever place my finger quite on why I'm like, I know horse girls are like at least tangentially queer, you know, like it's kind of getting to that little nugget of weirdness, deliberate weirdness, you know, do we want to kind of get into some more of these like tropes? Like, Kate, what kind of tropes have you encountered in like the stuff that you read when you were younger? And I guess this, and the stuff that you read now. Yeah. So I actually, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had this really brief, time where I actually read a bunch of horse books again. Awesome. <laughs> they, were, yeah. they were for grown-ups. Well, they were for they were young adult because I could at least count on them to not have a bunch of like 
sex in them. And that made me more comfortable. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like, I genuinely don't remember the plot, but I have a feeling it had something to do with like, oh, it was this horse that either no one wanted or no one could deal with. And by some like sheer magic, like this girl could deal with this horse. And it became like her best friend and all this other stuff. That's like a super common trope. And it's super like it is super fun to make fun of that trope. But I also (laughs) think there's something kind of touching about the idea that like it goes back to that power thing. They may not have power anywhere else, but with that horse, like they have power that is not based on strength or on how big and scary they can make themselves it's based solely on some kind of i mean in in some cases i guess literally like almost otherworldly magical like magic-esque kind of connection that we all know isn't really real but i would hazard a guess that everyone who has ever had a horse that was special to them whether it was theirs or not they were like, I have a bond with this horse that clearly no one else does. Nobody else has, <laughs> of course. Right, yeah. And like, oh, I could get that horse to do things no one else would. And I'm sure in a lot of cases that's actually true because horses, you know, they learn who their people are and they learn to trust individuals. And like, there's some credible research that horses will remember people who were good to them like a decade later. Mm. So they have good memories. Wow. Yeah, so it's one of my favorite tropes, but it's also like so genuine and heartfelt a lot of the time that like, while I do enjoy making fun of it, it also like it's a trope that's close to my heart. <laughs> I adore it because yeah. I'm kind of like, I I was never really a horse girl. I feel like I'm on the like sort of parallel track of like, like animal girl, you yeah. know, like in general, like dogs and cats and oh, yeah. for me, rabbits, where it was like, yeah, I, I will... I, you know, like that's, that's where I will focus, you know? And it's like that trope is so heartening to me because it really speaks to like this mystical, magical power really is just like listening and friendship and like genuinely like emotionally connecting with another being. And it's like, I feel like that that's so like genuinely like touching and sort of special. And it's sort of like that special relationship that only this girl and only this horse have is sort of like it's speaking to that experience of like seeing another another being and seeing like their soul and like their like emotional being like they have you know like they're they're a person and they also see you as a person you know yeah well that's I think that's just really lovely I've always liked that trope too yeah and I love that like horses are one-ton creatures if a horse doesn't want to do something it's bloody well not gonna do it. Like even the little tiny miniature horses, like they're gonna they're gonna beat me in any battle yeah. of will or strength. <laughs> the tiny sure. geriatric horse at the stable is going to beat me, and and this is evidenced by the fact that I often can't get him to move out of the way of my car so I can leave. The car. <laughs> um, like for love or money or cookies. <laughs> but there's something that to like. A one-ton animal choosing to do something you asked it to do, not because it's afraid of you, but because it sees something like that it's willing to do that for you. Like in the end, it is willing to it's willing to run at a jump that like is scary and has boxes in front of it and is something that any horse in its right mind and any untrained horse would take a look at that and be like, oh hell no. But 
but like these horses have have learned we've taught them hopefully through kindness but we've taught them to like do impossible things and war horses are even more like the extreme the really extreme version of that yeah there's a good horse girl book that's not about a girl oh yeah yeah war horse takes my heart out and steps on it and then gets back to me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was made into a movie also, but if you ever have the chance to see the stage play. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, I think man. I cried yeah. half the time. <laughs> the horses are portrayed They're by amazing. the most incredible puppets and puppeteers I have ever seen. When I yeah. studied in London, I got a chance to tour backstage at, I think it was oh. the National Theater where it was, and see the puppets up close and everything. It's I saw the London funny. production. It's incredible. <gasps> And there's some really cool videos out there of the various productions meeting like Mounted Patrol. Oh, wow. And and like, I think some of the, I don't know, like the tower horses or whatever. And the horses, actually, it's so cool to watch them respond to them. The horses for like, as far as I can tell, look completely cool. Oh, really? They do not know that that's not a horse. And the people puppeting those horses are so good at their ears and their facial expressions that they're actually able to make the puppet respond the way a real horse would. And it's just so oh, funny yeah. to watch those videos of like real horses interacting with the puppets and like clearly being thrown for a complete loop. Because <laughs> it smells like people it's and really leather cool. and things, but it acts yeah. like a horse. And you can but tell they're like just kind of like, what the devil is going on here? Oh, yeah. That's amazing. And it's like, it's it's doing things that it's, it wouldn't do and it's scared of and it's doing things because it likes you it's sort of like there's like this really like yeah it's a really like weird sort of almost selfish but like really like empowering sort of like nugget there that I'm like this creature likes me you know and it's like (laughs) this creature likes me over everybody else and there's something really kind of like oh I feel really special you know even if you're just doing a trail ride for an hour like this one ton animal would like to eat whatever is around. And I am telling him no. And he's like, well, fine. Yeah. yeah. Going along with it because of the training and because of the, the amount of time and human hours and, and kindness and compassion that is built into horse training, at least if you're doing it. Good horse training. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. always hope that the reason the horse is responding that way isn't because someone beat it. Last time it did something wrong, you always hope that it's like someone was kind to that horse when they taught it, and that's why it's so willing to do it. Yeah. That's not always a guarantee, but yeah. Not for nothing, though, there are a lot of horse girl books, both fantastical and that take place in like kind of the real world, where like a human character who's been hurt is going on a healing journey alongside a horse who has Mm -hmm. been or mistreated or what have mm. you and it can be a really great way for the young people especially to be able to externalize and analyze the harms that have come to them mm. and be able to work through some of those things and, and think through some of those hard things yeah yeah what other kind of tropes can we visit like there's you know i'm thinking of like these horse girl movies where it's like either the girl or the horse like kind of save each other's lives and things mm. like that. There's sort of yeah. this like weird kind of survival element to it. Yeah. What other oh, kind of I mean tropes? like Hidalgo has that trope. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. We want to talk yeah. about other things like that Viggo Mortensen has been in and Lord yep. of the Rings movies. 
just say uh, we're slowly sliding into the Vigo Mortensen station. <laughs> I can see it on the horizon. Yeah, yeah. Where... <laughs> Hidalgo is very much that. Like mm. he saves that horse, and then the horse later on saves him, and saves they're just life. like, I mean, they're just buddies. The number of times that like. Even in old westerns that like Silver or one of the old cowboy horses saves their person from like a mountain lion or or a bear or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Or saves totally. a little kid from such, you know. Yeah. I think one thing that's interesting about that too is that like cowboy culture, like like actual historical cowboy culture is very not white and very not straight <laughs> yeah yeah so that's not necessarily the norm of the trip that we see now through like more modern westerns and things like that but yeah. historically that is, that is what the reality is to the point where it's often very misogynistic so you know not great for girls yeah. or whatever but the queerness of that sort of cowboy culture and how the like stepping aside from a normative society culture that expects you to engage in heterosexual matrimony and like procreation and instead stepping aside and having this strong bond with your horse and you know the open road the trail like all of that those are i think really key horse girl tropes for non-girls yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did y'all yeah. know that there's actually like an international gay rodeo association? Mm-hmm. Amazing. It's totally a thing. I need to go Amazing. to one sometime because I think that would just be a great place to be. Oh yeah. And apparently we have one here. Like there's actually a New Mexico chapter. Oh wow. I just yeah. think that would be super fun. But yeah, I thought that definitely merits mention here <laughs> that there's like literally, this is not something that us that just like a small number of people are seeing. Um, there's like a whole literal international gay rodeo association. It's international, even. It's not even just like <laughs> amazing. <national>. Not just <laughs> national. Yeah, I think I might end up having to make a playlist of all the songs that I'm going to mention here. I did not even realize that this was a dimension of my horse girlness. <laughs> <laughs> the video in particular like the song is great and then the video in particular for Orville Peck's Queen of the Rodeo mm. that specifically looks at queer and trans people oh, in the cool. rodeo community and everything mm. is phenomenal and that's a, a really cool modern piece giving voice to the queerness inherent in like the subculture around horses and yeah. horse girls Oh, I love that. Talking some more about sort of the horse girl genre, we've kind of mentioned that there's like these sort of fantastical horse girl books, but it kind of goes even beyond that into dragon books, dragon writing books, which we have kind of discovered as we've been talking that they're horse people too. Dragon riding people are horse people. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more kind of about that sort of genre of book because that's something that has been around for ever and ever is books about dragons and the people who write them and like it's periodically just back in the zeitgeist again and it's having a moment again now so yeah. I think it's really good to talk about it which frankly is like a dream come true for me because <laughs> I loved it last I mean I was in like mid-school last time dragons were a thing yeah 
And it was, I mean, it was a little while ago. And I was reading Anne McCaffrey as a sixth grader, which, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. If you're old enough to Same. ask, you're old enough to know, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I transitioned directly from horse books to dragon books. And I don't think that was accidental. I uh, think Tiny Tate saw people riding dragons and was like, oh, dragons are basically just fantasy horses, right? And just yeah. wild. Yeah. That's it. Well, and as we were sort of prepping for the podcast, we, we started sort of just fangirl squeeing over all of the different things we can think of. But we were talking about Naomi Novik's Temeraire series, where all of the grand battleships in the Napoleonic Wars are actually in this imagining dragons who have riders and like a, a bond or connection with that rider. And what were some of the others that we thought of? Well, How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, yeah. And How to Train Your Dragon deserves a special shout out because the horse community got so obsessed with How to Train Your Dragon that there have been a number of different dressage freestyles. So like dressage is the pretty horse dancing that you see at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And there's like different events that you can do in dressage. But one of them is freestyle, which is basically a choreographed horse dance that incorporates certain required movements, kind of like a floor routine for gymnasts that's freestyle. Right. Right. And one of the best freestyles that I think I've seen was this incredible dressage rider. Her name's Charlotte Dujardin. She did on her horse, his barn name is Blueberry, but I don't remember what, like I always forget this horse's fancy show name. But they did a freestyle to How to Train Your Dragon. The music from that soundtrack. That's really cute. And I don't know a single horse person who hasn't watched it and like cried a little bit. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, it was so funny like how quickly the horse world really glommed onto that How to Train Your Dragon movie. To the extent that of like people joking around about how they're going to go train their dragon when their horse is being, you know, kind of out of control. How uh, to Train Your Dragon is a movie that is a beautiful Venn diagram of near perfect overlap of cat people, yes. dragon fantasy people, yes. and horse people. And like, horse it, people, it hits all uh, of the right things. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's amazing! That makes my heart so happy that there's. Well, and like it literally incorporates, uh, I've been keeping a list in my head of all the tropes we've looked at and also like how many of them are in How to Train Your Dragon. And I think actually all the tropes we've mentioned are in How to Train Your Dragon. They <laughs> save each other. Uh, yeah. Picked up pretty notoriously. That's how he gets freedom and self-expression is through Toothless and vice versa. And like, I mean, all the tropes, they're all there. It hits all of them. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. Oh, yeah. That's so great. Well, we kind of mentioned Pern, which is like this yeah. kind of like oh, yeah. huge behemoth of fantasy. Y'all would probably know better than I would. What are some kind of like more recent ones that are kind of coming back and having a moment? The the one that you showed us earlier, Grace. Oh, yeah. I happened to be in the bookstore and it was after a release for a really popular TikTok book sequel kind of thing that features dragons. And it was the day after and they were breaking down from a midnight release that they'd had and there was a sign that was like you know like this dragon riding book but gay and I just picked up the sign and walked over to the customer service desk and pointed at it and was like hi this this advertising is for me where do I find this book um, and the book point, that they brought the me direction. to yeah, yeah. Um, and then I had a great conversation with the bookseller for like 10 minutes and it was beautiful and lovely 
Oh, and the book that he brought me to was Dragonfall by L.R. Lamb. And I'm only about 60 some odd pages into it, but it's a very cool like, dragon portals into a, a different world and ends up in sort of a humanoid form and then is going to have this connection with a human person. And I'm not exactly sure whether like a romance develops or not, but there's definitely some really cool like thinking about gender and bodies and body dysmorphia and things like that mm. already, even before the characters, the, main, the two point of view characters meet. So there's mm. definitely some very cool queer things going on there. One of the things that's back is the Aragon series as a new book. Well, so if we remember that that's from like right. years ago, yeah, or from yeah, three million years ago when I was born, basically, like, tell me a little bit more because I, I think I only vaguely heard about this. So I just know my mom picked it up because she really, really, really loves those. And so it was like, oh, that, okay, we're back. Like the series that I thought was finished is back with another book. And that's another one where you have sort of the ability to communicate between the dragon rider and the dragon, right? Right. Joust was like that too, which I think is, that Mercedes Lackey? Oh, Yeah. We have to talk about Mercedes Lackey in the world of horse girls. Yeah, because, we do. The Valdemar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Valdemar, all the Valdemar series, yeah. there are horses who are heralds. They're, they're much more than horses. Yeah. And they have companions and they, they bond with humans. They have this amazing psychic connection then and everything. And that's sort of the, like the fantasy version of the connection with your horse, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a big trope. Yeah. They're a lot like Bernie's dragons, but they're horse bodies. Yeah. In some mm, ways. Yeah. As I recall, well, I don't know. I remember the telepathy thing reminded me yep. a little bit of it, but it has been ages since I read one of those. There's a lot of very cool, like, female-centered main characters who get to have agency and everything. I grew up more on Mercedes Lackey than I did on... Tamara Pierce so like horses are also pretty pretty important for Alana and, and all of that's true right arc too but right. the Mercedes Lackey one that I really 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 remember is the first book that I read as a young teenager that had a queer point of view character was Vaniel in the Last Herald Mage trilogy hmm. by Mercedes Lackey and he he's one of the, the heralds and, and has this companion what have you so that horse girl trope but the first time i saw it mapped onto someone who wasn't a cis woman but who was queer and othered from society mm -hmm. in other structural ways and that same resonance uh, mm -hmm. so i remember that one being huge for me mm -hmm. growing up i know i read that series but i must not i'm notorious for, like having not noticed when people are queer in books when I was a child like, <laughs> it didn't someone had to tell me years later they were like hey you remember that Tamara Pierce series Clark and Rose Thorne are gay I was like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny I was super excited uh, I was yeah. like are you kidding me I never knew that they're like uh, did you and I amazing. read the same book amazing <laughs> obvious <laughs> the last Harold Mage series is actually potentially being adapted into a television show. Oh, oh sweet. But if you are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go pick that up, revisit my childhood or whatever, see what the kids were reading. Like so many trigger warnings in the first book alone for like a lot of 
unaliving sorts of things and tragedy and travesty. And I reread it this year and was like, oh, dang. <laughs> wow. I was 12 when I read this. Okay. Okay. okay I'm glad I wasn't the only one who was reading books that were probably technically a little too old for her. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It had a horse on the cover. And so I was like, of course. Yeah, Green Rider? Yeah. Are you about to mention Green Rider? That was a book that I do not remember any of. <laughs> I know, I can't remember exactly but which ones, but Robin Hobb has a number of series actually that go on that same sort of like connection with mm. your creature vehicle or vessel or yeah. like ride rider kind of trope. There's it's a stretch, but it's like live ship traders, and then I think there's also Green Wild Chronicles or something that's dragons. We definitely have to mention Samantha Shannon, Priory of the Orange Tree, and I am forgetting what the prequel is, but that is mm-hmm. that is sapphic and modern and lovely and also dragons. I didn't know there were dragons in it. People have told me to read it, and I'm always like, no, that's okay. I No one ever thought to tell me there were <laughs> dragons in it. There's at least, like, dragon oh. eggs and... Uh, one of the dragons or or what have you is more of like a water type. Oh, and cool. so it's sort of counter to some of the fire breathing. Yeah. Like the sort of norms of that genre. Well, I'm thinking of like in, in a lot of East Asian cultures, dragons are associated with, with water far more. Exactly. Than and that's, fire, that's what that is mapped onto there for sure. Yeah. yeah. So some not entirely Western centric views of, mm-hmm dragons and then but still having that that sort of like horse girl connection sort of trope that was a totally. cool thing that they did in the timeraire books is timeraire is like loosely based on a chinese dragon mm-hmm. yes and very associated with like water and stuff and there are definitely like very english welsh flag dragons also kicking yeah. around but yeah, I do feel like we're remiss if we don't at least give a shout out to Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah, I yep. just never read those, so I have or saw. I never read the books or saw the show. So, so I mean, spoilers for a, an old ass show and slash book series. She <laughs> awakens these dragon eggs through magic and her sacrifice of her son and husband and her special blood. And then she has an incredibly close relationship specifically with the dragon Drogon, which is the largest one. She hatches three. Yeah, she literally calls them her, her yes. children. You know, She rides them. Yeah. I knew the mother of dragons. I remember that. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of a loose... Uh, tracking onto the horse girl trope but i feel like it is still there i i wish that i had something intelligent to say about house of the dragon but i have not read the source book for that and i am only through episode two of the series so i don't know enough to actually talk about it but the whole thing about targaryens is that they're dragon riders yeah yeah (laughs) They have an intimate connection with dragons. This exactly. reminded me, I don't, I don't know if they fall into the horse girl. Well, the kid definitely does. Dragon Prince. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, <laughs> we could also have the separate discussion of their previous media that involved dragons, at least two of them. <laughs> but Dragon Prince, like, I feel like some of that actually in that, too. Mm. some of the tropes although the dragons in that are like very different because they have human intelligence and 
they're super long lived and all that other stuff. Mm. But yeah, I think that's another bit of media that's come out recently that's had dragons in it and has some really good queer representation. Uh, yeah, I love the Dragon Prince. I think it's I love that show. I haven't watched the most recent season yet. Yeah, I mean, get get to it. Yeah. I I love it. I think it's a a very worthy successor to to Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, in a in a very different way, a very refreshing. Oh, yeah, different it's way. very different. But like some of it, you're like, I can see how the same people made the two made both of. I was going to say it's it's the same texture, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Boomerang jokes notwithstanding, and there's at least yeah, boomerang, <laughs> boomerang notwithstanding, <laughs> and some voice actors right crossing over crossing notwithstanding. Over. Yeah, but it's. It's the same. They use the same storytelling, I think, yeah. techniques. And yeah, I think that could definitely fall into the, the whole dragon thing. So we've kind of been heading towards this. I think it was time we start looking at some of these sort of fantastical horse girl dragon rider tropes and look at how they kind of appear in Lord of the Rings. Specifically, we're very kind of deliberately looking at Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're not really looking so much at book Aragorn. I do think that we can talk about horse girls in the books, but I don't think that Aragorn in the books is a horse girl. Yeah. So, right? Just a, a bit of a peek into how this episode came to be. There is this fantastic <laughs> article on Polygon called Aragorn is absolutely a horse girl subtitle for only in the movies. <laughs> yeah. We talked about this quite a bit and we were like, yes, we are in perfect agreement because it's centered around Viggo Mortensen, who is another certified horse girl. Oh yeah, he definitely. And it, it man it is manifested in several movies, not just yeah, Lord of the Rings. Exactly. So do we want to talk a little bit about that article and kind of what some things got brought up in the article. Yeah, I, I the things that I personally think are really interesting in that article is one, I would just want to bring it up up front. The Lord of the Rings movies would not exist without a legion of New Zealand horse girls because yes. they were the army. Oh yeah. Yes. They were literally the cavalry of, of Rohan, you know. Yeah, the horse girls yeah. and their like random farm mounts that they usually use to pull carriages and they threw a saddle on them and charged the horses. And oh in at God. least one or two scenes, you if you watch real close, you can see horses who are like, I am extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not doing this. Uh, Why are we running? <laughs> Why? <laughs> There's one in one scene and I catch it periodically when I watch the movies that just seems to be running off si- like it's going almost nearly sideways yeah the yeah, yeah. was just like nope pal uh-uh. I'm out I'm out, I love I'm you, out. <laughs> not where it's at yeah that's a huge one and famously they got a lot of beards and wigs on these horse girls so that they would amazing. look like male yeah. male riders of Rohan which I think is just amazing but you can see the skill of of those writers in a lot of those yeah. those shots it's yeah. absolutely stunning and truly inspirational i'm kind of like i feel like there were a lot of horse girls of new zealand kind of had dreams come true for <laughs> oh my god are you like yeah i would give so much money to be involved in something like that like that would be God. so cool 
I would also be terrified. It would be one of those where I'm like, oh, dear God, I am about to die. Just hold on to the horse and pray that it goes in a straight line and doesn't trip. Sort of this like behind every fictional true king of men are several hundred horse girls (laughs) making sure that the movie happens. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. One of the other things that touches on is how you would think Eowyn would be a horse girl since she is literally a horse girl being yeah. Rohirrim. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. you don't even know the horse's name. We we very specifically were discussing this about whether we considered Eowyn a horse girl or not, and none of us could remember her horse's name. Her horse just abandons yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's kind of the same for all of the Rohirrim. Like, none of them have like, the only one who has a horse that you remember his name is Theoden, and shit don't go very well for him and his horse. Yeah, yeah. No. His unfortunately, his horse is like they name it like in his epitaph, yeah. right? Where they're like he's directly responsible yeah. for yeah. his master's master's bane, <laughs> our sweet snowmane. Yeah. You're like sweet snowmane. You're like oh my god, like. Yeah. He- what a way to remember your horse, man. I, Come I on. Did, I did look up the names of the horses in Lord of the Rings and in the Silmarillion because, of course, I did. And of I course. was really tickled at the names of all the Rohirrim horses because they're very much what, like, a five-year-old kid would name their pony, like, Snowmane and Firefoot. And just, like, yeah, it's either that or their warrior cat names. So, <laughs> no. It's like Windfula. <laughs> Yeah, who is the one that Eowyn rides into battle, right? Or did I just make that up because no one remembers? <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> think, but... yeah. That's that one's name. And I looked it up and it just means windfall. Yep. As yeah. I recall. That is yeah. kind of how most of all of the linguistics for Rohan work, yeah. though. Like, yeah. It, yeah. it, it is kind of like king man, man man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude man. Dude man. <laughs> There's probably a horse named Horse Horse. Equivalent <laughs> <laughs> of Pine Pine the Wolf. It just like periodically gets stuck. Moon Moon. Yeah. 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 Who moon. is the Rohanian dude who's named the equivalent of Dude Bro? And what is that? Yeah. What is that? I need Someone to know. Someone get in the comments and tell me. <laughs> Someone out there knows. Please submit. Speaking of horse names, like Aragorn's horse in the book, Rohirrin. Aragorn gets a horse from Aemir as, you know, wear guild for their friends who are dead, who aren't actually dead. And he gives that horse back up when the Grey Company comes down from the north in the books. And it's his, like, trusty steed. It's uh, Rohirrin is what his name is. I don't remember what the horse's actual name was. Aragorn's actual horse is Rohirrin and Aemir gives Hosfell and Arod, I believe. Hosfell and Arod to... To the the three hunters, which yeah. he still does yeah. in the in the movie, he gives them Hassafel and right. Arod. But yeah, so right. Arod comes down, and Aragorn has this whole horse girl moment with this horse that he already has a relationship with, going into the paths of the dead. Because in the book, right. they actually lead all the horses through the paths of the dead, and the only way they can do mm-hmm. that is through the great love between the riders and the horses. Because it's only the Grey Company whose horses will go through the Rohiric horse exactly that uh, Legolas and Gimli are riding runs away. Yeah, they can't handle it, and it's a sign. Yeah, it's a sign of Aragorn's like 
great love and will, basically, that his horse will follow him underground, basically. And that's it. <laughs> like that that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's it for the book. Yeah. Which is so different from the movie. Right. Yeah. Where we have Aragorn and Embrego, who in the the extended edition gets a, a lot longer introduction and we get to see Aragorn work his race by elves magic on this this wild horse yeah. <laughs> that no one else can tame. Can I just yeah. read and... one line from this article? <laughs> Reader, yes. I am begging you to examine the way Viggo Mortensen plays Aragorn like he is one hard cut away from making out with this horse at any given time. <laughs> so good oh my god oh it hits every <laughs> trope really like that horse it hits every trope he's like no one can else can ride him aragorn's like we need to set him free you know he's seen enough of war and then later when poor aragorn has been left for dead yeah you know floating in a river who comes back for him who comes back but brego yeah to kiss him tenderly who, on his to nose kiss him <laughs> To kiss him tenderly to life. Been fantasizing or having a psychic connection with Arwen. Right. Right. And like, right. We like we talked earlier about this like weirdly sexualized thing that people do about horse girls, and then and then we have this discussion where we're like, okay, but actually. <laughs> oh god. Maybe Arwen <laughs> is literally a horse girl. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Galaxy <laughs> brain. <laughs> so in in the movie it's her but in the book in the book it's elrond who does call forth like the horses made of water yes to I sweep love that away the, so cool. the steeds of the ring wraiths and of the nazgul so you know there's there's definitely some some horse girl vibes going through that family line yeah yeah not to bring up traumatizing memories of rings of power, but there's there's a long uh, uh, say, there's a <laughs> like, I did not even watch Rings of Power, but I watched that one scene when y'all sent it to me, and I was just like, yeah, okay, this is definitely like it's making me uncomfortable. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, excuse the pun, but sometimes we horse girls need to be reined in. <laughs> Just a little bit, and like maybe, maybe we're not allowed to have more than like six seconds of slow motion horseback riding. Full seconds, (laughs) like it's too much. Why? Too much. Why is there so much? I literally have this in our notes as I guess we've got to fucking talk about that Galadriel scene. (laughs) (laughs) Like I get it. Rings of Power Galadriel can be a horse girl. I'm so here for it. Just could we have trimmed at least like 13 seconds out of that scene? It would have been great. Yeah. Could we have a few less seconds of Galadriel being a horse girl? Yeah. Like we got it. We got it. We got it again. And then we like we got it an uncomfortable number of times in that scene to the (laughs) point where we don't we don't need to get it anymore. Mm -mm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was going to say that like Aragorn comes by his horse girlness. It's it's in the long the long line of Elendil. Uh, They're all they're all horse girls, too. So he comes by it by genetics, you know, I feel like we need to talk about like horses and Numenor, too, in a second after we get Uh, through like the Lord of the Rings stuff but can we talk for a minute about how Viggo Mortensen real life horse girl yes. actually like went beyond the like I bonded with these horses on set to the point that he 
bought two of the horses and oh. brought them home with him. Didn't he? Oh. And he also, I don't know if it was one of the two, but also bought one for one of the stunt riders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jane Abbott. Yep. She was yes. one of the stunt riders for Arwen and she was also a horse trainer on the production. Yeah. And he bought uh, Asphalos. His name is Florian. Florian is the yeah. horse's real name. Yeah. Uh, but it's the horse who played Asphalos. And he's an Andalusian and Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, there, it's so always an Andalusian or a or if you need a white horse, it's an Andalusian. If you need a black horse, it's a Frisian. Everything mm. else is pop liver. <laughs> I think Brago's just a plain red horse, which I love. Oh, yeah. I love this for Vigo too. Yeah. Right, because my horse is a plain little red horse. And I'm just like, oh. so I have this fellow feeling for people who like the plain little red horses. Oh, yeah. He bought Florian and gave him to Jane, basically, which is freaking yeah. amazing. Like truly amazing because the, the the piece to consider in that too is like once these horses have been trained as stunt horses. That's a trained for... stunt horse. Yeah. yeah. That thing is like, worth a lot of freaking money. Yeah. Oh. What was there was something that I was reading about like as we're talking about war horses and yeah. fiction and everything, like the sort of equivalent cost or or value in our like monetary understanding would be like a hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of like horse and training and whatever so it's a huge deal when characters have that bond and connection with the horse and we tend not to think of the the economics of a fictional world of like who, who even gets to have a horse or like finds a horse wandering in the woods and bonds with them or what have you but but they're they're very expensive to train. And so that part of the thing for Jane Abbott was that she was never going to be able to afford to buy oh, this yeah, horse no. that she fell in love with. Mm. And Vigo Mortensen was like, I got you. Yeah. And, oh. and as I recall, he also bought at least one of the horses that played Hidalgo. I really? Think he might have. I think so. I'm pretty damn sure he bought at least one of the horses that played Hidalgo. I think there were like four or five of them which is funny because it's a paint horse. So you can actually tell the difference between the different horses. If you like, if you watch it enough that you can check that you can pick out the paint spots. But yeah, I think he bought at least one of the horses from Hidalgo. He did. Wow. So he bought one of the horses, RH Tech Contender, which is one of the paints used in the film. And then, the screenwriter John Fusco bought Oscar, who was the main stunt horse. Cool. And then another one of the horses went to a ranch in Colorado. I want to meet that horse. Also, the film grossed eighteen million dollars on opening weekend, peaking at number three. This is behind Passion of the Christ and Starsky and Hutch, and I <laughs> do want to make sure that we all know that it was because of. Horse girls yeah. and Lord of the Rings girlies oh, who wanted to see up. Viggo Mortensen with a horse again. <laughs> I went. I went because it was a horse movie. Yeah, I I love that movie. Yeah. It's so fun and like so much of the humor is very like it's very horse humor and you're just like no one would think to make these jokes except someone who actually <laughs> lives with horses and is like you know given their horse grief. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's a good one. Should we talk about some of the other horse girls in Lord of the yes. Rings? Yes. Let's do that. 
So the article that Alicia referenced does also talk about shadow facts and how shadow facts treatment in the book is like not, not horse girl level. Like shadow facts is this like untamable sort of like magical horse who can understand the speech of men and everything. So like all of the factors should be there, but really like the whole description of, Gandalf talking about his time with Shadowfax is not very horse girl aesthetic here. It's uh, just never before had any man mounted him, but I took him and I tamed him. That's just not the vibe. It's not the vibe. So <laughs> just Shadowfax like, oh. is done dirty by the narrative. Not the vibe. So like I, w- I would guess like technically Gandalf is a horse girl. He's just not really treated as such in the primary text. You get a little bit more of that in the movie. Yeah. But not a lot more of that. And I think it's just because Vigo oh. was just chewing up the scenery with Brago, right? <laughs> yeah, v- Vigo, yeah, Vigo and Brago over here making Brago. out and just like yeah. distracting everybody else. Vigo's over here literally so, kissing his horse yeah. and everyone else. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely think like it's there and I can imagine like fan works and everything really exploring it. But the primary text just sort of drops the ball on any sort of connection there, not even just through our horse girl lens, but through any sort of narrative connection strengthening of it i think we need to talk about sam and bill yes Mm -hmm. i feel like this is like one of the most like tender and like wonderful kind of like bits of in the books that i think gets gets kind of the short shrift in the movies again probably because they they gave a lot of that energy to to vigo (laughs) or vigo took that energy (laughs) so i i think with Sam and Bill, one of the reasons why it was left out of the movie so much is because Bill was, for the most part, two people in a pony outfit. Because they had right. to take <laughs> this pony to terrain they couldn't safely take a pony to. And I would yeah. just imagine it's probably hard to build some sort of like realistic-seeming relationship with two dudes in a pony suit. They should have gotten the people from More Horse. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking that, too. They need good puppeteers. They need highly realistic puppets that require yeah, three people exactly. to do. Yeah. Exactly. Like, all I can think of is that wide shot in the Midgewater Marshes where you can totally see it's two people in a horse suit. <laughs> oh, no. I've never even paid that close of attention and I didn't actually know it was two people in a horse oh, suit. Oh, well, you're welcome oh. the next time you no, watch this movie. <laughs> Yeah, it can never be unseen. <laughs> I think the only time it's an actual horse is right outside of the gates of Moria, but I'm not 100% sure Sorry, on that. He actually literally says bye to the horse. Right, exactly. And then yeah. they Aww. just slap its bum and he trots away. Yeah. <laughs> but like in the books, you get a lot more of Bill the Pony and, and other ponies that the hobbits interact with and mm-hmm. like, and It's just a much bigger part of the culture. Yeah. Around Bree and everything. It's just like one of those really special moments, I think, between Bill and Sam is, you know, Sam sort of he went all the way to Rivendell, basically, with him. And he was really distraught at leaving him behind in Moria. And really, that moment when they have just gone through this like horrible experience with the Watcher in the Water, the, you know, the doors have have crumbled. They're trapped in Moria. He's like, oh, God, poor old Bill. He's so worried that poor Bill has been taken by the Watcher and is going to get eaten by or get eaten by wolves. And, you know, it's just sort of like, oh, bless your heart. Like worrying about your 
precious pony friend when all of this like horrible shit has just <laughs> has just happened to you and you have all of your other and friends. And it is cruel that Tolkien does not tell you what happens to Bill for hundreds oh, yeah, of pages. It's finally oh, it's oh, terrible. Yeah. yeah. But then when that moment does happen, you're just yeah. like so you're delighted. Pony. <laughs> oh my god, it's yes. Bill. He's okay. He made it back to Rivendell, man. He's been having his best pony life. Sam rides Bill the Pony to the Grey Havens when he accompanies Frodo to see him off. Like, oh no. Oh, <laughs> oh my heart. Like, my heart. My heart. Bill the, Bill the Pony <laughs> and Sam, like, oh my gosh. Hey, Vaughn. Oh. Yeah. Uh, also, it was Bill the Pony who kicked Bill Fernie. As he ran up into the night, Hell yeah. good back job, to, like, Bill. Like, yeah. good job, Bill. Just all around, <laughs> and like, what a, what a name for a horse! It's such yeah. a good name, Bill. You know, I just realized I have never known a single pony named Bill. <laughs> like, I've known, I've known Flickas, I've known, mm, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a bazillion Misties. Yeah, I've oh, never so, known sure, a, sure. Yeah, I've never sure, known sure. a pony named Bill. Ugh, we gotta, get we gotta find that. some. Gotta get on yeah. that. Speaking of other of other ponies, Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil might be a horse. I pony. think Tom Bombadil is. <laughs> because for one thing, all of the ponies in the Barrow Downs, they get spooked and run away. Who do they go and find? Well, they go oh. and find good old Fatty Lumpkin, who is Fatty yeah. Lumpkin. Oh god, I love Fatty Lumpkin. What Who's a name. Tom's wonderful pony, because they're like you know, he knows what's up. We'll be safe. But with also, him. like Fatty Lumpkin, like Tom doesn't ride Fatty Lumpkin a lot. He mostly hangs out with Fatty Lumpkin. So, like, they're bros. <laughs> He's a pasture pet. <laughs> yeah, they're bros. Ornament. Yeah, yeah. And when Fatty Lumpkin basically brings them to Tom, he gives them new names, which they, I think the the quote is they answer to you know for the rest of their lives basically. That's so cute! Oh my god! Oh, it's like he could see like their like the characters and name them the right thing. Exactly. He knew oh. their true names. Exactly. Because oh. they're like sharp exactly. ears, wise nose, bush tail, white fox, and oh. pumpkin. And what? Oh. Pumpkin. <laughs> pumpkin. Amazing. Pumpkin. I love it. I, so I love how there's Fatty Lumpkin who names Bumpkin. <laughs> yeah. I love the name uh, Wise Nose. I think Wise it's nose. Just, like, that's such oh, a good name. So I actually love all of those names. Yeah, and like they're all great, perfect pony names. Perfect yeah. names. So I don't know. Ponies are the devil. <laughs> <laughs> wow, hot take. Just say, is this <laughs> hot take? These ponies are. Is, hard say, is this where we get into horse girls versus pony pony <laughs> girls? <laughs> like i don't know known thing that the smaller the horse the like more you have to watch out for it because it's probably plotting your demise <sighs> it's, so, like, it's just like dogs yeah so, it's like, just like dogs. running joke that like ponies are just evil they just are <laughs> um, but so like i feel these ponies are all very well behaved for literal actual ponies there's like some weird thing in the horse world and this is international because icelandic horses are oh god i hope no one from iceland is listening to this um icelandic (laughs) horses are short and so by like the rules of just height of horses anything under 14 one i think hands is a pony 
But if you call an Icelandic horse a pony, like on your head be it. You do not Ooh. call an Icelandic pony Icelandic horse a pony. A pony. Wow. <laughs> you just absolutely I didn't know don't. That. And like it got me in a little bit of trouble because I call all horses ponies. It's like the diminutive of calling all dogs puppies. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. you, you call cats kitties. Right, yeah. all, and and I said, kids. Oh, what a cute pony. And someone's like, That's not a pony. I was like, okay. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I'm not gonna explain this. It's fine. <laughs> and the Arabian horse people get the same way. So they're like literally no. some breeds of horse that no matter what size they are, they are horses. It's like this weird thing that the horse world has against ponies. Wild. Yeah. Well, and like Wild. you mentioned Misty, which is from the book Misty of Shinkati yes. and your Henry did a ton yeah. of horse girl books, right? But you can you actually can go camp on Aztec Island and like camp next to the ponies and yeah, everything. and they're hooligans. Um, they're amazing assholes who will they're just jerks. stick their heads oh they right into your tent or camper or whatever. You had best not leave out marshmallows or Doritos. There are so <laughs> many funny videos of them just like straight up a gang of horses. Going oh, yeah. through people's picnics, just laying waste to everything, trampling oh, the sandwiches, God. playing with the blankets, eating. Oh, I don't know. I have watched them like take a cooler because they know what coolers are and they know what's oh, in them, oh, yeah. and just unpack it and like unpack grocery bags, like throwing one thing out at a time with their teeth until they get to the marshmallows <laughs> at the bottom, and then yeah. they take the marshmallows, throw them down on the floor. <laughs> Put a hoof on it and rip them so that the marshmallows yeah. go flying. And like oh you're not going to tell a one-ton animal how to, no. what to do or move or whatever. And the, the park rangers will come up and be like, "Well, yeah, we told you. This is why we told you. Right. We'll, oh my, we'll, we'll keep oh on from kicking your car. We have a big water spray bottle, but they're not going to leave the marshmallows. <laughs> like like just don't go near them right now. The bottle if they get too out of hand. <laughs> yeah. You can actually, you too can own a an acetate pony. They still do the pony pinning and the the swim wow. every year, and they adopt they do. these horses. The Barrier Island is split between two different states, Maryland and Virginia, yeah. and one uses horm- I believe I believe hormone darts to control the pony population, Virginia. and the other does uh, Virginia. The Virginia side does the pony pinning and swim across. I thought it was Mar- no Maryland does the pony pinning. Maryland does the pony pinning. It's and- a very big cultural thing. Or no, uh, no Virginia does the pony pinning. Really. Because Chincoteague, the island, is on the Virginia side. Uh, over the okay, Virginia wow. border. Maryland is where you have the better state parks and, and national parks to be able to camp on the island, though. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. We, we usually go every every year. I was not aware cool. that more than one barrier island had a rogue herd of horses. Rogue, rogue pony Carolina population? Uh, so I grew up in Georgia, and we had Cumberland Island, which has like a, right. a Mustang herd. Which are also all assholes. Yeah. I mean, Mustangs out in the wet, like, we will not get me started on Mustangs because we'll be here for the next, like, <laughs> That's our next episode with you. Yeah, perhaps. that's our next episode. It's just me carrying on at length about Mustangs and desert sure. ecology and the fact that they're literally tearing the West to shreds. Mm-hmm. But they, like, they're assholes, too. I mean, I, I think, like, just across the board, Mustangs are kind of jerks. I love them. Uh, actually, one of the first horses that I rode like a lot was a Mustang, and I loved her to death. So I love Mustangs, and the horses that the horse that I learned to jump on was this incredible little Mustang. He was called Surprise Pony. He looked like a miniature oh. Frisian. 
he was very much a pony and god i loved that horse so much like god rest his soul he taught so many people how to jump so they can be wonderful horses but yeah they also known for being a little bit persnickety (laughs) i also tend to love horses that are a little little bit of an asshole a bit of an asshole yeah 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 little personality yeah yeah the thing i was gonna say with the acetique ponies or horses though is that because of the conditions that on the island if they live on the island they tend not to grow to a full-size horse size so they're called ponies but the ones oh. that are pendants from across to the mainland do typically grow to like horse size oh, they do. Hmm. so yeah so it's a, a really interesting like they are horses but on the island they qualify they're, as they're ponies ponies wow it's very very cool that's interesting yeah that's pretty wild yeah, sorry for that diversion from. Oh no, it's a great. Are it's evil. A great. It's <laughs> are evil. No, I. That's the kind of diversions I love. Yeah. You also talked about Amazing. like how ponies, like we use it as like the diminutive, and this yeah. is going to bring me back to Tolkien and etymology because I forget where it is, but he notes that kin in terms of like fatty lumpkin and bumpkin is used as the diminutive suffix. So it's this. just like little fatty lump. <laughs> Little fatty lump. It's the equivalent of a little bump. He's just a little bump. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. I love that. Oh no. The the pony's named after a lipoma. (laughs) 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 Oh oh my goodness. Now I'm just like, yeah, now I'm just imagining fatty lumpkin. It's just. Got kind of looking like some of my like really older like senior dogs that just have lots of lumps all over them and i'm like oh yeah. bless you oh precious babies um, i i don't know why this is to me but i have a kind of mental link now between tom bombadil and bayorn and i think it might have to do with this episode and like knowing how they treat their ponies but Aww. Just like Tom Bombadil, Bayorn is serious about his ponies. Totally. Like, he does not want to lend them out. He will only lend them out. They have to set them free, and he follows them the entire time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I guess you could call it stewardship, but I feel like that that deep relationship between a carer and the, the caree, the creature that is being cared for, I feel like that's... Uh, a super strong link between Tom Bombadil and Bayorn. And Bayorn as like, you know, this huge terrifying sort of creature is taking care of all of these really like gentle, like prey animals, right? And a bear is a peak predator. This is really like this I just like I love that sort of like that that gentle that gentleness that is sort of that is part of his relationship with his herd two other ponies that i think we should mention that just they're mentioned in the narrative mary is given a pony by theoden mm. uh, his name mm-hmm. is Bibba, i think yeah and he doesn't get to ride the pony all the way through to battle because the whole thing is that like eowyn picks him up as, as Sternhelm or whatever and, and rides with him so like the, the pony stays behind and then i also i always forget this and every time i look it back up i laugh because i think it's hilarious frodo gets a pony and he names it strider <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. 
after Aragorn. So Frodo rides the pony named Strider to the ship to go to the Grey Havens while Sam is alongside him on Bill the Pony. And this is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, ponies. Also, I want to talk a little bit about Legolas and Gimli. Oh yes. And I think we have a couple different different like things to talk about here, but the one I wanted to touch on is that in so many books and movies or whatever, like the romantic trope is that, you know, the one character sweeps the other up onto usually his horse and they ride together and there's like the intimacy of, of like two beings trying to ride the same animal and, and the touching and the the proximity and the intimacy and all of that. And I just love that this is how Legolas and Ghibli just go through the entire book. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> yes. So I just I just love the like romance novel trope there. Like, sure, it's practical and it, it it's like there was only one bed trope, but it, there there was only one horse. <laughs> there was only one horse. There was only one horse. And we're in the kingdom of people who ride horses and we okay fine one horse this this kind of fits with like the other thing which was that really funny tumblr post that went around about how like about legolas not using tack and like why so like do none of the elves use tack except who's the one who they said like hasn't glorfindel yeah so like do, do none of the elves use tack except glorfindel because he essentially has Satan as a horse or <laughs> do all of the elves use tack like normal people but legolas yeah. is over here being like horse girl i have a magical <laughs> bond with my horse look at this i taught it to ride at liberty which is like yeah. a thing like watch, you, watch yeah. me gimli i can ride a horse without anything <laughs> watch me gimli <laughs> yeah. and then he's like got gimli with him this whole time just so that he can show off even better love it Poor Gimli's like, my ass is, <laughs> I cannot walk for like days. Right. Gimli's <laughs> like, there's no are saddle. You, are you going to steer this thing without reins? Like, what's going on? Oh, man, Leah, I'm pretty sure Gimli was like that in regards to Legolas, regardless. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I was like, exercising some of the same muscles exercising there. some of the same, them. oh, yeah. The training Wait. regimen, you know. Right, right in, right in bareback. Yeah. It's coming back to sexualizing horse training. Uh, <laughs> but no, I was going to say, like, at the place where you go to do, like, the adult horsey weekend, which sounds much worse now in the context of what we were just saying. So I think that's um, right. <laughs> but there is one of the stable managers for horse Molly is trained that she can be ridden bareback. So we do actually get like bareback riding lessons and you get to like spend like 10 minutes like riding on Molly or whatever. Like only the super dedicated horse girls will actually show up for that. But where it's like, you know, six of us there time going like, yes, please. This would be yeah. amazing. I used to uh, for a brief period of time before the I don't rem- I think it was before the first ankle surgery. Rocket can't jump now because he's older and he's got like he's got a, a foot thing that makes mm-hmm. it so he can't jump. But I used to jump him bareback. Oh, wow. yeah. Wow. Which is wild. Like, I don't I, wow. I yeah. literally have video of me doing this and I'm just like, how did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> because like, I mean, well, my back hurt all the time is how I did it. I've got like a bad back. So riding bareback is doubly bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
foot. Rocket can, we can go saddleless. And it's, yeah, it's really cool. It's a very different experience from riding in a saddle because mm, you really, really feel is. the movement of the horse and you feel where the horse is like, natural center of gravity is which is actually further forward of where you're putting a saddle so like pretty much really pull you forward kind of onto their withers which is why you don't ride bareback on a shark fin withered horse because Mm -hmm. then you will have that experience that i was saying earlier i was like oh that would be super uncomfortable like (laughs) (laughs) on a thoroughbred and yes you that's the experience you're basically having Mm. but Riding without pack if you're a dude, like legless. Ouch. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see how that works yeah. for him. I mean, I'm sure there are dudes who ride bareback. I mean, you watch actually you watch Indian Relay, which is this incredibly amazing sport where they ride the horses bareback as fast as they can run, and they do it relay oh, style. And but the horses are the relay, so they like go jumping off these horses at incredibly high speeds and then jump up on the next one. It's incredible. If you like, yes, it's an incredible sport. It's so cool. You should look it up. And yeah, it's just amazing. I think wild. I think it's originally from the Lakota, but I don't remember. I just know that it's incredibly, incredibly cool to watch. Oh, and I mean, those dudes are like riding horses at a full out gallop. So clearly... Clearly, you can do it if you have the physical training. I'm sure their legs, like, man, they must have the best seats known to man. Like, to be able to sit a horse <laughs> going that fast with no saddle. Just mind blown. Yeah. Yeah. Just tip off the side. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. I do love that Tumblr post about it's like so loss and what. <laughs> and I love the idea that Glorfindel needs to use tack on Asphaloth because he's such an asshole yeah. on the horse. Yeah, I've been thinking about it and I think there's a couple of mentions in the Silmarillion about elves having horses with tack but it is definitely mm-hmm. not universal one way or the other and I do think that yeah. it's a show off stylistic choice with Legolas. Yeah. So hmm. funny. Yeah. Also in defense of myself I was sexualizing Gigalas not necessarily horses. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a different, that's a different play. Yeah. That's a different episode, right? That's a Equus, not, (laughs) not not anything else. (laughs) Yeah. Another show that a lot of people went to see because an actor from a a movie was in it in a very different Mm -hmm. experience. In a very different experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's right. Uh, I like the idea of like, that Asphaloth is specifically like an, an an asshole horse that Glorfindel somehow still is still riding when everybody else is sort of like, what the hell? Why would you? Why would you have him? Basically, Glorfindel's right? like, I killed a Balrog. Fuck off! I can handle yeah, this. I can't. I can. I can <laughs> right, handle this like, dude. Yeah. He could kill the Balrog because he's used to dealing with Asphaloth. Um, <laughs> exactly. He was like Balrog. That's nothing. I have this devil horse. It's nothing. Um, yeah, this stupid horse. Well, because there's also something mentioned in the Silmarillion. I forget where, but it's like splitting the difference, right? Where it, it's like 
well, the elves rode horses bitless, but they had right. like decorative headpieces or like reins yeah, right. and, and maybe saddles and stuff, but right. j- they just didn't control horses using a bit. Yeah, so then... apparently he kept changing his story, and I actually think this is yeah. in that Tumblr post where they're like, it's unclear because dude just kept changing his story. Like, And there Shocking. are times where... I yeah, mean, that's just saying everything. Hogan contradicting himself. <laughs> right. What? And I almost the think there was a case where he like said one person rode with tech and then later said without and like without. just all kinds of stuff, which, yeah, I mean, it's Tolkien. He had so much in his head. Like, how could he keep it straight? <laughs> it seems like it's the best idea in a war situation, which, I mean, what is the Silmarillion than a story of many wars endless wars <laughs> you would want tack on a horse then so you would know what side that horse belongs to right mm. well um, i mean unless you can just tell by the person on it is wearing a uniform if the person is like thrown off of the horse and it's a horse from the opposite side would you not then want to kill the horse no you'd take that horse that's a horse trained for yeah. war fair enough you just fair steal enough. that thing Hey, Hell yeah. That might be like spoils. Spoils of war? I mean, stealing horses is like a thing that people have done on battlefields. Yeah. Kill the other side's horses. It's like stealing, you know, like a, a, a cannon or like a tank. Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. you can weaponize, basically. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. It's already enough. trained. Like, yeah. Side note two of the letters where Tolkien talks about, like, how the elves ride horses and tack and whatever. I have looked it up and I haven't pulled the letters yet, but it's a uh, letter 211 and letter 297. He talks about this topic. So if any of our listeners want to go do some research for themselves and, you know, <laughs> and join report in back Kate. to us. <laughs> Kate, I know that you love the Silmarillion far more than I do. Lord of the I like it so much better. I have I didn't reread it on the recent read through that a bunch of people did, which <laughs> I have for Yeah, we just finished. Yeah, I have obviously forgotten most of what I've ever read, but yes, it's I love it there, more than uh any horses or horse related things in Silmarillion oh that you want us to to make reference to or touch base. I don't on. think so. I didn't the the times that I've read through Silmarillion, I haven't been reading through for horses and I've gotten really hung up on like Juan and yeah. Mm, yeah. Good. It's been more about the dog for me. The bestest um, boy. The bestest boy, boy until he's not. And then you're like, how mm, could yeah. you? How could you betray your person? A horse would never. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, he his person's Luthien. Like, that's that's how that's how I, yeah. I feel oh, it. Okay. It's like once well, no, he realized no, his yeah. person is a dick, he's like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. He's like, oh, this guy's an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Bye. Like, yeah. Fuck you. I disavow you. I like her. Yeah. 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 I think one of the things that is interesting about the Silmarillion and horses is that like a lot of things are, are sort of oblique references that, that we have to pull information out of. And not just in horses in the Silmarillion, but like the Silmarillion is, is often very, very like big overview of things instead of granular details with a lot of story, right? But you do get that some of the horses that we encounter in Lord of the Rings and throughout Valyriand and everything are descended from horses that come from Valinor or that, you know, one of the Valar are like riding and give to people. Cause I think it's Orome has a horse, yes. like kind of right from the beginning and, and mm-hmm. all of that. 
yeah, they're a specific breed. And like by the time you get down to Lord of the Rings era, isn't it like very few of them are left, but Shadowfax is one of he's them. One of he's them. One of right? them. And that's yeah. why he yeah. that's why he's the king of the horses, is because he's a throwback to these like ancient bloodlines. The mayoress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh look, Tolkien having some problematic ideas about bloodline and nobility oh. again. What? Yeah. What? I'm How interesting. Shocked. But no, the, I, I think it is kind of cool that the history of the horses in Middle Earth and everything and that they were like native creatures in middle earth as opposed to being brought later and, and that's just something like being living in america that's something that's interesting to me because like we tend to think of like oh well you know horses all over part of american culture cowboy culture and everything but horses weren't indigenous to this area and they were brought by colonizers and changed the way that indigenous populations interacted with each other and with colonizers and and all of that and so it's very complicated to get into the history of horses in the united states and north america so it's interesting remembering that that this is based on sort of a, a european model where yeah horses were always around of course they're native to middle earth like no no yeah, they were literally brought there by Orme. Yeah. 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 It is really shocking to me that Tolkien really leans into that. Well, this particular thing went over the sea and it came back and now it's your lord. How many times? He does that over and over and over and over again. I cannot wait until we yeah. do an episode that's just about colonialism. <laughs> oh, boy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. And by I can't wait. <laughs> Uh, oh my god we're gonna need like three hours to do that shot noise yeah (laughs) there's just gonna be so much cringing as we research on that one yeah there'll be a lot of cringing and we'll also have uh, a lot of our friends and their work to to look at because they're doing a lot of that research as well right now so yeah a lot of cringing together (laughs) yes yep Kate, do you have any last thoughts before we kind of wrap up here? Uh, this has been an awesome conversation. Like I say, this is this has been super duper fun. I, I love. I love, I love anytime I, love I get to this. talk about horses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's a really a rich topic, and I yeah, I feel like we we don't we kind of don't see enough of people like really exploring the kind of the nitty gritty sort of implications and stuff of of horse girls. Yeah, I'm super interested to read some of the, like, articles that Alicia found. (laughs) Those sound, like, super interesting to me. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, I talk about the ecological implications of horses, so why not then also take up as a special interest the social implications of horse girls? Why not? Yeah. Mm, Yeah. 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 There should be more people digging into that topic other than just that one girl. Yeah, there really yeah. should. There should be more people. There are so many horse girls. He, there's, they've no, got to do some more. You know? More scholarship. Well, and there are so many other, like, obviously that, I assume she's American, right? I'm assuming so. I did look her up, but it's been a minute. Yeah. But, like, it would be a super interesting topic outside of, like, Eurocentric I mean, there's like a whole other world out there full of people who have ridden horses way longer than the Europeans. 100%. 
Yeah. And yeah, that would actually be super interesting too. Is like if the horse girl trope even exists in some of those places. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> or if it's very much like a product of the culture in which the horse girl trope was born. Yeah. Oh, that's a fascinating question. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I have one last question for Kate. Yeah. How accurate do you think Tolkien is in his depiction of horses? Ooh. I mean, I think mostly he does a lot of hand waving and calls them magical horses so that he can get away with it. <laughs> sure <laughs> enough. That's what I think. That, sure. Yep. So like track. I mean, um, one of my favorite examples of like poking fun at how fiction of any kind treats horses is I think was it Diana Wynne Jones wrote like survival guide to fantasy land or something yes the tough guide to fantasy yes, line and there's uh -huh. something as I recall something about horses in there it's so tongue-in-cheek I think that's where it's from I've since read it on tumblr I remember I read that book a long time ago but yeah I think generally most fiction gets horses wrong mm. because like, it's not very convenient to get them right. Like, I mean, somehow these animals have survived since before the Ice Age. But you look at them with a funny look on your face or change the weather too fast and they get a stomach ache and die. So, like, <laughs> yeah, if you float a balloon near them, right. they like, yeah. Oh like, yeah, they're really weird animals because they are so resilient. Like. Mustangs. I mean, are these incredibly resilient animals? You'll you'll go out and you'll see a Mustang with a broken leg that's clearly been broken for a while and it's been hobbling around three-legged. And of course, the reason it's still alive is because wolves don't roam anymore. But mm. still, like that, that is a resilient animal. Yeah. I, I did find that delightful Diana Wynne Jones quote that was being mentioned. Um, and we should put it in the show notes because it's a whole like couple paragraphs long. But the part that I think I enjoy the most is uh, she's talking about they never stumble or nor do they make life difficult for tourists by biting or kicking their riders or whatever. <laughs> That's right. They never resist being mounted or blown out so that their girth slip or do any of the other things that make horses so chancy in this world. And then she goes into fantasy horse reproduction Oh, that's right. <laughs> that no mare ever comes into season on the tour, and right. no stallion ever shows an interest in a mare, and yeah. few horses are described as geldings. It therefore seems probable that they breed by pollination. <laughs> this theory seems to account for everything, since it is clear that the creatures do behave more like vegetables than mammals. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I think they may be more realistic slightly in the movie, just in the they had to use actual, actual horses. horses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had to use actual horses, horses. And so, like, sometimes you'll catch in the background, like, a horse pinning its ears at another horse, and that's, like, super realistic. Or, mm -hmm. like, you know, in the cavalry scenes where you've got one horse just peacing like, out. Going out, like, <laughs> like up, And its rider is clearly like, oh, Jesus, what have I got <laughs> myself into? You know, doing Hail Marys. But, yeah. yeah. I think I often just suspend my disbelief when I'm consuming horse media because it is super fun to take the piss out of media over horses sometimes but then other times i'm just like no i want to believe they're magical oh <laughs> yeah 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 
they are a really fascinating contradiction and like yeah yeah, they're they're gigantic prey animals it's sort of like their instincts are to run away and to get away from whatever is the threat and it's kind of like when i talk about like rabbits to people as like companion animals i'm like it's a it's a different experience than like with dogs and cats because dogs and cats are predators rabbits are prey and so it's a very it's a different relationship between the human predator and a prey animal that Mm. can be really rich and rewarding but also you have to do a lot of listening to each other and there's a lot more yeah give and take that you kind of need to do to develop that relationship of trust because you're interacting with very different instincts and very, very different ways of being, you know? Yeah, and it's really interesting. Horses, the human relationship with horses kind of fascinates me because on the one hand, yeah, they're prey animals. And so you have to learn to think more like prey and see the world more like prey. On the other hand, they're the only other animal that we like interact with on the level of a pet or a partner or something like that as something other than just food that is another essentially pack animal. So, yeah, or like, like, a, like a tool, I guess, in a way that's well, sort of yeah, like... So they're like, they are predispositioned to form bonds with other animals, kind of the way dogs are. Like mm-hmm, dogs live mm-hmm. in group, you know, that instinct of dogs is generally to live in groups. Mm-hmm. The instinct of horses is to live in groups to the extent that like, if you have a horse without another horse, they can get really crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even if they have like a donkey or a goat or something like they mm-hmm. still can get pretty unhinged if they don't have another horse mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so i think it's really interesting to like compare and contrast the relationship that we have with dogs to the relationship that we have with horses yeah i agree i i mean i'm really kind of fascinated by like the real domestic animals sort of relationships with humans yeah and kind of all of the kind of complications sort of inherent in it and but also like kind of like on the same level as dogs where they're tools they're like they're creatures that are used for specific purposes and also as companion animals yeah which is they're very different relationships and yeah that level still exists you know when companion animals kind of didn't weren't really like a super widespread thing like I, I mean I think we've been calling dogs doggies and kitties since you know we first came out of the caves yeah but i mean it's sort of like we've had a very very long relationship with horses and with dogs that i think look a lot like each other yeah there's actually been some really cool research so if you've ever heard that the last wild horses are the ones on the asian steppe Mm. they're called in mongolian they're called taki and it's easier to say than the name that the russians gave them when they colonized and for the longest time, science said that those were the last remaining wild horses. Mustangs don't count, they're feral. Mm-hmm. Well, they started looking at the genome of Taki and they started noticing like signs of domestication in their genome and wow. eventually mm-hmm. came to the conclusion that actually those are technically long time feral like long feral such a wow. long time that that's diff- that's a different species it's equus ferris i can't remember their size but like they're a different species hmm. but that they were once belonged to people wow yeah 
Yeah, there's That's been wild. some really cool research in the past like five years or so about the Taki and how like that they were domesticated and yeah that kind of thing that's 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 incredible yeah, yeah. that's wild and they me. recently they actually recently found i think also maybe somewhere in asia the oldest saddle frame saddle that they've ever found oh wow yeah do you know how old it was let me look it up real quick it was as you're looking that up, like I was realizing, like I think I've just colloquially always used feral and like thought it meant wild, and I'm having this like cool nerding out moment of realizing, oh no, it actually has a specific meaning of like wild after escaping from captivity yeah. or domestication or whatever. Like oh oh, I didn't realize this. I'm learning a thing. This is cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was dated. Be, to between 727 and 396 BC. Wow. Wow. Which is pretty cool. And I think they've found, that's a soft saddle. And then they've also found evidence of being ridden on like some recent horse burials oh. they've found. Mm. They're like, oh, people were actually riding these things, not just using them as pack animals. So it's assumed mm-hmm. that the first horses that were domesticated were used as pack animals. Oh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I joke around that there's almost no doubt in my mind that the first person to ride a horse was a teenage boy who looked at the horse and was like, hey, <laughs> instead of putting a bag on that thing, I'm going to put me on that thing. Hey, watch, guys. Look, you dare me? And his friends were like, yeah, I dare you. Maybe it was a, you know. Who knows? It's stu- I I want to poke fun at stupid teenage boys. Could have been a stupid teenage girl. I was gonna say maybe it was the first horse girl. <laughs> ah! first horse girl. Um, and and went and hopped on it and yeah and the rest they had a magical they had a magical right, yeah, yeah. moment. I, mean, and I do have to on. to say like in favor of this theory, all of the people that I know who routinely like ride horses bareback or have trained their horses to be so that they can stand on them while riding. <laughs> Are yeah. horse girls? I was gonna say, not cowboys. So, like yeah. you know, just saying. Yeah, yeah. Horse girls started it all. <laughs> I'll I'll say it here now. <laughs> this yeah. may just be my personal bias, but or, or like the bias of, of my experience, the limitation yeah, of my no, experience, but in my experience, <laughs> yeah. Horse girls, domesticated yeah, I mean, horses. I've definitely, I've definitely tried to stand on Rocket before, not while he's moving because I don't have a death wish, but I've I've definitely kicked my shoes off and stood up on his saddle i don't want to dig my feet into his back because like we both have bad backs but oh but yeah i've definitely seen horse girls do their fair share of extremely stupid things (laughs) molly the horse who will let people ride her bareback is also trained that people can stand on her to ride wow this is not something that they let us do when we are just visiting the ranch but like the person who who is her person can do this wow I mean, I've ridden Rocket backwards. Yeah. yeah. He, he's always like, what the hell are you doing? You're just doing the wrong way <laughs> <laughs> This is wrong. the view you're choosing? Okay. Yeah, like, all right. All right, yeah. Whatever. Well, if nobody else has any last thoughts, maybe we should wrap up. Okay. Kate, this has been such a fantastic yeah. conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Anytime you want to talk about horses, you just let me know. <laughs> oh, okay. hell yeah. 
Would you like to tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet if you would like to be found? I actually don't know that I can still be found on the internet. Okay, totally valid. I haven't been on Twitter in a long time. I mean, if you like, if you search my name, you'll find my LinkedIn and like probably my research gate profile. I was going to say only, only if you want yeah, to share. No, it'll be I like just... all my, it'll be all my science stuff, but yeah. Yeah, you can search you search my name online if you want. <laughs> Read scientific articles that I've written. That sounds like a good time, right? You can Google me. That's fine. Right, yeah, Whatever. You can Google me. But I had a Twitter, but I haven't updated in a long time. Completely valid. I have a Tumblr. It's a singer of songs. We will be sure to drop a link in the show notes for our listeners if they yeah. are curious. But That's the best way to do it is yeah. Look for Kate on her Tumblr. Yes. I think it's called a singer of songs. Yeah, if it's I'm not a singer of songs, and there's dashes between each word. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for so coming much on. for coming on. This was a great conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Alicia, would you would you like to do our outro? Yeah, sure. We keep making you. You can find us on. Apple, Google, Spotify, and basically anywhere you consume podcasts, or if you can stream our episodes directly from Zencaster, that is Zencaster.com slash QueerLodging Sepulchian Podcast with hyphens in between all of those words. Please leave us a rating and like, share, and subscribe. It does help us more than you probably know. You can also head to QueerLodgings.com and see our individual episode resources, our lists of recommended books and our merch shop which is uh brand new you can find us and transcripts oh yeah the transcripts how do i forget about the transcripts and transcripts (laughs) yeah the transcripts are for our earlier episodes we are working on catching them up it takes a long time to transcribe tolkien's words if you listen to our one year anniversary episode you would know why (laughs) (laughs) you can also find us on social media we're on facebook we are on twitter at queer underscore lodgings we are also on blue sky if you have anything you would like to send to us you can also send it via email to queer lodgings podcast at email.com we always enjoy uh, seeing your emails also, we recommend checking out the Mythopoeic Society's online midwinter seminar in 2024. It's going to be February 17th and 18th via Zoom and Discord. You can find that on the Mythopoeic Society's webpage, uh, mythsoc.org slash OMS. And your podcast co-hosts here also happen to be the co-chairs of this particular academic event. So it's a virtual conference centered around queerness and fantasy, sci-fi, speculative fiction, other mythopoeic works. And our guest of honor is going to be uh, Taylor Driggers, who, if you recall, was our first guest ever on the podcast. So uh, there's a lot of really exciting things coming up for that. And we would love to see you there. Yes, please. Registration is $20 a person. It's an online event. And it would be amazing to have you check it out. Some of the papers we've got in for that event are so good, and I'm so excited. Oh, so good. <laughs> I'm super excited. It's going to be freaking amazing, you guys. So please don't miss it. Please come and hang out with us because we've got lots and lots of really cool people, lots of our friends, and we're 
really excited to bring bring you guys some of this stuff. It's going to be really cool. I should have put in a horse girl paper. (laughs) You should. This is definitely a moment of be the change you want to be in the world and specifically holding space for the work that everyone is already doing and making sure that we have as many spaces as possible to raise our voices and make sure that we are heard. So we're really excited for all the folks who are presenting papers as part of this. And even if you didn't get a chance to submit a paper idea, we would love to have you come and be part of the audience to share this. Yes. Yay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Some things are best left between a girl and a Also, we recommend checking out the Mythopoeic Society's online midwinter <laughs> online midwinter seminar. Midwinter, midwinter, the midwinter, midwinter. seminar. <laughs> uh, <laughs>